0: I'm Margaret Mueller, President and CEO of the Executives Club of Chicago, Chicago region's top business forum. Join me on the Executives Exchange as I go deep with some of the most successful executives from the Chicago region and unlock the keys to their success. Trust me, you're going to want to hear this. This week on the Executives Exchange, we are joined by Julie Sweet, Accenture's Chair and CEO. Accenture is one of the most admired global professional services companies in the world. Tune in to learn how technology is driving the next generation of business success, the future of work, attracting top talent, and building and sustaining an inclusive culture. Julie, thank you for joining us today. I was telling you before we started that not only is Accenture an important global company, it's a really important member of the Chicago business community, as I'm sure you know. They've been a longtime corporate partner of the Executives Club, an engaged civic leader, and I know that all of the business leaders are eager to learn from you. So let's start with the beginning with you personally. Tell us a little bit about how you grew up.
1: I grew up in Southern California, in Tustin, California, in a little town where there's still a sign that says, work where you must, but live and shop in Tustin. <laughs> so, uh, you know, which I love. And uh, my dad painted cars for a living. So he worked at a Honda body shop most of my childhood. And my mom went, actually went to school when I was in middle school. Uh, my dad would have liked to have gone to school. He got a GED. So he didn't graduate from high school. He went to the army and got his GED. <laughs> Uh, But, you know, with three kids, you were not going to have, you know, he was the main breadwinner. So my mom worked part time and went to school and actually graduated from college my freshman year in college. Uh, And so my parents, I was really fortunate. They, you know, had a lot of sayings when I was growing up, but uh, mostly they, you know, told me that I could do anything as long as I worked hard enough. So, um, and here I am today, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that, for that upbringing and for the example that they gave me of, of hard work and, uh, you know, being committed to the right things. The, the other thing they used to say is we don't have money, but we have time. And so I grew up in a household that did a lot of service and, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm trying to carry that on in my own family.
0: That's really great. My dad was a mechanic. And so this kind of touches on what we were talking about, that there is potential everywhere. And to open our aperture and what we're seeing with these first-generation college graduates, the potential is tremendous. I'm just excited that we're finally tapping into all of this latent talent. So from the day that you were announced, I was really intrigued by your path, your uncommon path to CEO, which I think is fantastic. So share with us a little bit what first drove you to pursue law and then how did you transition that to a more traditional business role?
1: So for those of you who are in my sort of eight zip code of age, I'm, I just turned 54, you'll remember LA Law. And I'm I'm sure that LA Law had an influence on uh, on, on my <laughs> desire to be a lawyer. Um, although I really, I, I actually decided in eighth grade, you know, where, where I grew up, technology wasn't something that was at the forefront at the time and you know you were a doctor or a lawyer right like in terms of aspirational jobs and so I actually you know said I wanted to be a lawyer and I wanted to debate uh go to the debating club and I'm sure someone planted that idea in my head and I did that when I went to high school and if you fast forward to when I graduated from college I remember sitting with one of our, my mentors, Professor Haley. And, uh, you know, I was about to sign up for a lot of debt, you know, three years of, of law school. And I, uh, I remember him asking me, he said, Julie, have you ever met a lawyer? Cause he, he knew my background and, and my answer was no, you know? And, uh, so he arranged for me to meet with a lawyer and, and let's face it, had I met, however that went, I was going to law school. I had like made that decision, but, uh, you know, it does underscore the importance that we can all play in helping people who don't have the access to, you know, whether it's technology or being a lawyer or a doctor to, to help open the aperture as you began and, uh, and, and be able to, you know, use our own path and our own knowledge uh, to open up new opportunities uh, for those who, who may not have that opportunity.
0: Yeah. Um, it's great when we see people have these, you know, paths that go like this. And to the people who are earlier in their career watching, you know, it always seems so linear. You know, when you see these people, they're tremendously successful, but it's great to hear their stories, how they didn't have it all figured out in eighth grade, the way it may look.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, we definitely didn't look. And I, people always ask me, did you, did you know you wanted to be CEO? And, and the answer was no. You know, it's, it's no. funny when I part of the reason I chose law was people did say, if you have a law degree, you can do everything. And, and that's true. Although easier if you have a law degree and you do corporate law rather than litigation because corporate mm-hmm. law gives you more of a broad-based learning. But you know if you sit here today and you say, why does, you know, why does a law degree prepare me so well to run a technology company and to run a company in this environment? And lawyers process information and they do so and then have to make decisions and and give advice and they have to do so very quickly. And we're living in a world where the skills uh, that we have today are are, often not relevant in in the very near future. So we have to help our people learn. Uh, The technology is changing so quickly and that's true even more so after the pandemic. And when I look at Accenture, we have um, eight leadership essentials uh, and, and everything I do starts with what are my leadership qualities, right? Like, what are we trying to do? And, and my favorite one is lead with excellence, confidence, and humility. Mm-hmm. And the reason that's important is people who have humility are learners, right? They, they, know, that they, they know what they don't know. They're constantly learning. Uh, leaders with humility build teams, right? They, they don't think they do it themselves. And, uh, and they naturally collaborate. And as we look forward, I think mean, the skills, with, regardless of your background, is if you are a learner and you have humility to build great teams, you will accelerate either in your career or in helping your company accelerate.
0: Yeah, and it's a life's work, right? Finding that leadership style that's authentic to you and figuring out what that is about Julie Sweet, you know, that really makes you shine as a leader. Uh, thank you for sharing that. So as we mentioned, Accenture has experienced significant growth in recent years. I'll ask you, to what do you attribute its success?
1: It's a great question. And uh, it, it starts very simply with our focus on what clients need both today and tomorrow, and then our people. And so what do I mean by that? Uh, we can only be successful if we create value uh, for our clients. And the thing that we've done consistently over time, because we're super close, we you know we serve 75% of the Fortune 500, um, our top 100 clients have been with us, 95% have been with us for over five years, uh, over 10 years actually. And uh, we stay super close to clients. And we know that we need to help in the challenges, but, but also look ahead. So if you go back to 2013, we were the first company in our industry to say that every business would be a digital business. Every business would be a digital business. Now, sitting here today, that seems obvious. Back in 2013, it was not obvious. And we were anticipating where we needed to go as a company by what we could see our clients needed and that's why we started our first transformation and you know we are in perpetual transformation and i think that's even more important of a mindset today than it was back then Because even as we predicted that every business would be a digital business, our own business was less than 20% digital cloud and security. And we executed a strategy that in six years, we went from less than 20% to 70%. So we literally reinvented the core of our business over six years. And that really brings me to the second point is why are we successful? And it is a focus on our people. I mean, people are our business people plus technology because, you know, we use a lot of technology today instead of people. Uh, We have a technology AI and data first mindset, but we have focused on people back in 2013 was when we made the big shift to say, we've always been a leader in inclusion and diversity and we were well ranked, but we couldn't change the face of Accenture in terms of our core business unless we were gonna be innovation led, which required us to be more diverse. Uh, we also focused on, you know, what does it take to retain diverse talent? And by diversity, I mean, broadly, it's it's everything from gender and race and sexual orientation, but also to geographic and age. And so what do we need to feel like every day? Because you can have, you know, top-down leadership, you can have programs and policies, and then how do you make sure people feel they belong? And so our focus on people, and when you go back to our eight leadership essentials, I'm happy to share it with you all, by the way, if you want me to give you a link later. One of them is very simple. Care about our people personally and professionally. Care about our people personally and professionally. It's not fancy consultant talk, it's pretty simple. And that is at the core of how we look at, you know, growing leaders and what we measure them on. And in the context of the corporation, You know, that's everything from how we think about our benefits like because you know what does it mean to care about them personally. Well, way before the pandemic, one of the things we did in the US, for example, was to provide um, second opinions that were virtual. Because many of our people didn't live in places where they were closest to the best hospitals in the US. And yet, if you think about
0: medical second opinions,
1: medical second opinions. So if you think about the most important moments in your life outside is when a loved one or yourself is facing a serious illness. Right. And so we thought about how can we leverage our scale to meet the need of our people at this moment? Like that's about that's how you think about tangibly caring for our people personally and professionally. And I have a million examples of what that means, but it's not just words, right? It's it's saying that and then acting upon it. And, and even as we look at the great resignation, our industry has higher attrition, but where we see our attrition is, is mostly concentrated in India in a very low um, uh, pr- professionals. Our executives and above we have not seen the kind of attrition uh, that many are seeing. I mean, in, my, in our industry, it's higher relative to other industries. And I really believe that is because of our core values around uh, people uh, yeah. and caring for them professionally and personally.
0: And thank you for giving a concrete example. You know, that's what I appreciate, you know, not to just say, oh, and we really put our people first. It's like, well, how actually do you do that? And you gave a great example. And I do want to dig into it more. So we'll get to that in a minute. I first want to talk about something that you mentioned, that uh, your ability to look ahead in 2013. And that's what's the hallmark of our CEO series with people like you, is that it gives our members and business leaders an opportunity to hear from you what you are seeing that they may not be able to see. So now in 2021, almost 2022, you have a unique perspective on where things are headed. What major trends are you seeing now in the marketplace?
1: So sure. it's a great question, and I, and I want to take it because I think there's, a, there's both a huge opportunity and also a huge watch out in terms of what's happening in the market right now. So I want to take you back to 2019 for a moment, which is when we put out some uh, research that was some of the best we've done in our history. And at the time, way before the pandemic, we were saying, you know, for those who were already leading in digital, what, was it paying off? right? And we did this research across 8,000 companies and 20 industries or 20 countries and 13 industries. And what we looked at is we measured companies by their technology depth, breadth, leadership, and culture. And at the time, the top 10% were performing 2X the bottom 25%. And this was on average across the industries. Mm -hmm. When you got to the pandemic, we predicted that overnight that gap had widened, and we committed to doing that research again a year into the pandemic, and we published it in the last uh, few months. And that guy gap widened from two x to five x. Oh wow! Two x to five x. But what was really interesting, which I think is inspiring, is that there was a group that statistically didn't exist back in 2019, and that is what a group we're calling the leapfroggers. About 18% of companies on average are performing at 4X, the bottom 25%. And these are companies that weren't leaders going in, they're not in that 10%, but who have committed to taking the same steps. And there are three things that we see in the leaders and the leapfroggers. So just I just want you to think about this. It's about a third of most industries. And the three things we see are first, they're touching two times the number of processes and the, have a much broader reach across the organization and what they are changing. And we call that compressed transformation. It is absolutely driving our business and it's hugely increased in the last 12 months compared to pre pandemic. So, compressed transformation. The second thing is they're cloud first and embracing emerging technologies. So, in the US, for example, among the leapfroggers, 55% significantly increased their investment in artificial intelligence. So cloud first and emerging technologies. And then the third piece is they pivot their IT budgets from sort of maintenance and business as usual to innovation and embracing new technologies. And I would tell you, since I work with leadership teams across the board, they're also pivoting the amount of time they're spending at the leadership table on the future, on innovation, as opposed to you know, uh, the BAU. Now, why is that significant? It's because there's two thirds that don't fall into leaders or leapfroggers. And what you're beginning to see is that those companies who immediately after the pandemic started pushing ahead with compressed transformation, either to widen their gap to a leapfrog, those are major programs that take time. And you're starting to see in industries the results of those programs coming online and you know i predict over the next 12 to 18 months you're going to see more of it because they started at different places they give those companies a digital core that allows them to accelerate and grab new value uh, that i think will be very impactful because as many as many people said you know that the pandemic caused transformation to speed up the actual work of moving to the cloud, cleaning up your data, finding new ways of working is really you know, difficult. And, uh, and you can't do that sort of simply overnight. The last thing I want to give you an example of though is a lot of it you can do a lot faster than if you had been a leader five years ago. Right. And one example of that, you have a, um, you know, a company that is mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a, a telco who's trying to do 5G, and implement new ne- new networks, and you have Rakuten. So this is uh, a Japanese telecom that said, we're going to build a platform to do 5G that doesn't use proprietary, that's entirely in the cloud. And we're going to do so and take on our legacy you know, providers. And we're going to do so by saying, we won't use proprietary, we're going to use everything open. And we're going to put together things that exist as opposed to everything being custom. And when you look at those to pass, right? The legacy telecom would have said not possible, certainly not possible at scale. And yet sitting here today, you have only over 5 million uh, subscribers of, of, of Rakuten and they're taking this around the world and they've defied and they've done it at a lower cost. And when they started three years ago, right? everyone was saying not possible, right? And, mm-hmm. and so, and there's many examples across industries of companies that by leveraging, by saying, I'm not gonna have it you know only built here, uh, who are able to accelerate. It doesn't change the underlying need to transform, but the mindset of how am I gonna do something differently is the question you have to ask. And that's the question I ask our clients when they say they wanna speed ahead and say, what are you prepared
0: to do differently? Mm-hmm. Yeah, really interesting. Um, I know we can keep talking about this, but we have a lot that we want to get to. So I'm going to keep moving us along. So I would like to talk a little bit about Accenture's presence and commitment to Chicago. You know, we are the Executives Club of Chicago, this is the Chicago business community. From your perspective as a global CEO, why is Chicago a vibrant place to do business for Accenture?
1: Well, first, I mean, I think it's important just to establish how committed we are. I mean, we've doubled the number of people we have in Chicago over the last five years. And, uh, and I think that's an important testimony to the fact that we think the market's really important and that we think, um, you know, the companies that we serve there. And I mean, you know better than I, all the stats, 37 of the top 500 are headquartered in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but we see um, also companies in Chicago wanting to innovate, uh, you know, needing to digitally transform, uh, and so we've been very committed to the market uh, with respect to, and, and therefore are, have been growing our headcount. And again, we always start with clients, right? We we you know Chicago has a lot of great attributes, um, there's great recruits. Um, we have our apprenticeship program, which today is as. You, you heard was is 1200 apprentices across the US, but we really started that program in Chicago and San Antonio uh, a few years ago, those two cities. Uh, and you know one of the things that I, I was talking to you about Margaret is that I think the way companies come together in Chicago is really exemplary. Um, there are very few cities. there's a few. you know Houston's one, Charlotte's another, Atlanta and, and the impact you can make because companies are willing to work together, um, is is tremendous, and and so you know, great these sort of great companies who need us, really good um, educational institutions, and then uh, you know, corporates uh, who really do come together. Uh, on, around missions, and you know, one of the things we started with Greg Case uh, a few years ago at Aon was the Chicago Apprenticeship Network. And I want to make sure we get a plug in for the network. Um, we have 73 companies in Chicago and uh, over uh, 1,200 apprentices across those companies today. And it, it's a super vibrant network. And last summer we started focusing on uh, more apprenticeships for high school students. Uh, which have been super successful. And this summer, we want to you know, raise the game again in terms of numbers. And so I hope that uh, for all of you listening, uh, if you want to participate, that you do reach out. Um, we're going to provide you, you know, the links and so on. But uh, you know, we have found that our apprenticeship program, as you saw earlier with Dell, is, is really fantastic. And we're continuing yeah. to invest.
0: There's something that Chicago is really doubling down on that relates to the technology aspects that you were talking about, which is really this digital manufacturing. And we have a number of companies here who are doing great work. We have Fast Radius, which is this cloud manufacturer, and these companies that we've seen what's happened with supply chain during COVID, and that now more than ever, the idea that you can manufacture what you need, where you need it, you know, almost on demand. And we have a lighthouse manufacturer, a World Economic Forum lighthouse manufacturer right here in Chicago. So it's a big industry, big focus of Chicago. I know it's also a big focus of Accenture. So I'd love to hear just a little bit more what you've been doing around the digital manufacturing space.
1: Sure. I mean, we, we uh, have talked about sort of the next digital frontier is really manufacturing and supply chain. And uh, we've been investing in this over a decade. The pandemic has certainly accelerated much faster uh, than we thought, but not just the pandemic, but the actual coming online of relevant technologies that weren't available in some cases even two years ago. So you think about things like Luminate from Blue Yonder or SAP's um, uh, as for Hana, you know modules, which have only come online and really provided some of the opportunities to accelerate in that space. Uh, and uh, there's a Gartner study that came out recently that says that 91% of boards of directors interviewed believe that over the next 12 months, the biggest opportunity for digital transformation is, in fact, in manufacturing and supply chain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so. This is an area that in many, many ways has not had a lot of um, uh, focus uh, for, for various reasons. But I think there's a couple things as you think about like what's happening here. And I'll just tell you the tale of two clients. right? So we have one client in the consumer goods uh, area that's been a leader in digital, like I talked about before, sees the opportunity in manufacturing, particularly with the use of digital twins. And they said, we're going to work differently ourselves. And in the middle of the pandemic, they came to us. Uh, and one of our ecosystem partners and said, we really want to um, uh, help create more sustainable, uh, more sustainability in their product in terms of how they fill this particular product and cut costs. And they wanna do it rapidly. We did a proof of concept in 12 weeks on the shop floor the three companies coming together with the idea of scaling rapidly and actually doing so not by asking plants because in a lot of times uh, companies with manufactured um, plants around the world uh, you know they, they try to sell to the plants as opposed to saying we're going to go rapidly and there they were we were successful together and we're now scaling it you have another client same time frame they, did, they built the technology themselves, and then they came to us and said, we're having a hard time scaling what we built in order to take it to our plants, and we're having a hard time convincing our plants. And I said two things to the CEO. I said, the first thing is, did your team first check whether what you were building is already someplace out there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they really believed they had the most you know, knowledge, and they built something custom, which is super hard to maintain over time. And I said, and the second piece is, if you're gonna convince every plant, you know, leader around the country, around the world, you will never get there fast enough. Right. And, and this goes to this idea, you know, of leaders, leapfroggers, and other, not building your own, knowing what's, you know, out there first, and also being willing to say, I don't need to customize everything. And so, you know, we do believe that in manufacturing and supply chain there is a battle going on right now as to who is going to make this a real competitive advantage. And that's particularly true in certain industries because life sciences, manufacturing, for example, is different than in, you know, consumer goods, just different in chemicals. Uh, But it, but it starts with the same principles of, you know, how are you going to execute? Are you doing things differently? Because in most cases there needs to be a change in how you move in order to go faster. It's not simply work harder or have the commitment at the top.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor, Sure.
1: Audio equipment for the Executives Exchange podcast is provided by Shure Incorporated.
0: When your team is depending on you for information and motivation, you can't afford to sound anything less than clear and confident. For nearly 100 years, performers and world leaders have depended on Shure microphones. Whether you're in front of a camera or behind a podium, sure lets you sound extraordinary. Welcome back. I know that you've said that people are Accenture's greatest asset. I want to get back to the people thing. We touched on it before, but I wanted to be sure we got through some of the technology stuff. So attracting and retaining talent has been extremely challenging this past year, as we all know, for most companies during the pandemic. What is Accenture doing to? both attract and retain the best talent.
1: Yeah, we touched a little bit earlier on, you know, how we focus on, you know, our people and having diverse talent, but I want to talk about a, a word called fidgetal. So it's physical and digital. And this is about how we are onboarding because we, you know, hired just last quarter, 54,000 net people over hundred thousand last year. And uh, we did that entirely virtually. And one of the things that we have been doing since the beginning, um, and we've always had remote workforces, so we had a really good base to start, was to not simply use technology like this to connect, but how do you use you know, technology to build new connections? And then how do you think about what we call omni-connections, right? So uh, get away from just spaces and places to how are we going to connect with our employees in a world where we were already a lot remote, but that it changed again? And this idea of fidgetal came from uh, understanding that pre-pandemic, even if you were part of a remote team, you showed up in an office someplace, you went home, you told your partner or your friend or your mother about the coffee at the new place and what the new office was. And there was a physical connection. And we have people that were literally being hired and they closed the computer one day and then they opened the computer that was delivered to their house the next day. and no physical connection so we now send to all of our uh, new hires a welcome box that indeed has the computer but it also has little cards like the posters they would have seen with our sustainability value promise or our leadership essentials they have Accenture swag so that physically they change their desk so that you 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 think about a physical connection Mm -hmm. even in their home and and this is just one example of what I think needs to be, it's a shift in thinking from spaces and places and different channels and technology to connections. And when you think about the trend in, in um, retail and consumer goods, we are also seeing leading companies shift from a thinking of omni-channel, like, okay, I, I need to do my digital channel. I need to do my physical to omni-connection because mm-hmm. post-pandemic, what we're seeing is people are continuing to buy digital, even as they return to stores. And so it's really about thinking on how do you connect with the consumer and build the relationship and then have the most convenient way of fulfilling what they, you know, what ultimately they're buying either that product or service, but using the language to think about not, it's not channels, every, channel is an opportunity to connect and so as you as you asked about like what are the new trends moving from omni channel to omni connection as you think about connecting uh, as you think about customers and then within employees moving from the concept of hybrid working to omni connections and having that inform your strategy.
0: Yeah. And you're in the process of building this tremendous Accenture Tower in Chicago. Yes. So you see the chance now to create like, literally physically the workplace of the future. So what are some of the things that you're thinking about for that workspace?
1: Right. So, yes, we're pretty excited because uh, we're, we're putting everybody in one location, which is great. Uh, and so let me just start with something super simple. We believe that to bring people into the office, we need to earn their commute. So that's the phrase earn their their
0: community, right?
1: And so when we are designing that new office space, we're thinking about what are the experiences our people need to have so they feel like it was valuable to go into the office. And so that office already has our innovation hub, which we continue to expand and we bring clients and our people there. Uh, But most of the time, people are coming into the office. It will be around connections. It will be around innovation. It'll be about learning, mentorship. Uh, And so, you know, thinking carefully about what do they need to be in the office for that they'll think valuable. And and I think if we all kind of have that, it it transcends this, I should be in the office three days and two days. You know, a lot of people are looking at this very programmatically and policy-wise, and it turns it on it to say, okay, but how do I make it worthwhile to be in the office? Because you won't build the connections and the relationships simply because people are there.
0: Yeah, Um, I'll just say, this all sounds hard. (laughs) You know, this (laughs) omni-channel and earning the community I mean, this is not gonna happen overnight, right? This is gonna be a a process. And I think some companies are going to do it better than others, but how great that you have this opportunity to just build this space from new. That's a really great timing. Good job. (laughs) So you talked a little bit about uh, the leadership essentials. I would also love to hear about uh, this commitment to being sure that your people are net better off for being at Accenture. If you can share that a little bit more. You have some really great nuggets. I love this earn the commute. And I've also heard about this net better off concept, which I think is really important. So if you can talk a little bit about it.
1: Great. We did some research along with um, uh, Marriott CHRO that we published, and we should definitely make available to everyone watching in a link um, that talks about, uh, you know, how do you be the most attractive to both attract and retain employees and this concept of, of being net better off. And so it's it's, you know, another way of of talking about our very simple leadership essential of caring about people both personally and professionally. And it, it has um, a six-point, you know, sort of framework. And so, of course, it has the things you'd expect: great professional training, uh, you know, paying, you know, market level pay, you know, having the opportunity to uh, you know, to move up in the organization, but it also focuses on well-being, both physical and mental. Uh, and so, things like we've done at Accenture, uh, we've had over 180,000 people complete our computer based, uh, science based program on how to manage stress and anxiety that uh, we do in partnership with Thrive. And that program, uh, everyone who goes through it says on average it decreases their stress and anxiety about 11%. Uh, but it's tied very much to, in terms of leaving our people net better off, is a focus on their well being. The second um, sort of other way of thinking about is is relationships, and so being part of Netbetter Off has a relationship component, and some of that is what we would traditionally think about, sort of the inclusion part of inclusion and diversity, but it goes beyond that, particularly in a world where um, you do have now at scale hybrid workforces, and that's what, for us, that manifests itself in this commitment to omni-connections, because it is the relationship component that builds the ties, the loyalty. Um, we know from the science that people who have built relationships at work are more engaged, are more loyal. Uh, and, and so how do, you know, how do you then go from having this be one of the components to that? And, and I think that's the key is when you look at the net better off research and you look at the six point framework they're not just words. What they do is inform you as to how to think about your talent strategy and your experience strategy for your employees. And do you have tangible action? So when we thought about the relationship piece, it made us really think about and come around to this omni connection, because yeah. that was about how you build the relationships in a world that's even more remote than pre-pandemic. Hopefully that's helpful as you yes. look at the research.
0: I know, and we'll be sharing all of these links. And I think that's what's been so concerning during this. Like, Not uh, the employees who have been with us for a while and are able to pivot and transition, and they know their teammates and their clients, and they're able to work in this omni uh, connection platform seamlessly. But thinking about this word apprenticeship, even more broadly, and the 54,000 employees that you've just brought on, you know, how do we help them develop these relationships and connections at work and apprentice them into the jobs. And I think it's going to be just an ongoing challenge that people are figuring out. I don't know if you have any glimpses into how you're doing it well.
1: I do wanna share you something that's super exciting that we're doing yes. that's on the bleeding edge. Okay, so I will admit that many of you cannot do this yet.
0: That's <laughs> our job to
1: do this, but we have um, you know, just bought 60, over 60,000 Oculus headsets. So sorry for all oh, of those cool. you trying to find it for the holidays. And why did we do that? So again, if you go back to how do you build relationships? One of the ways you build relationship is through shared experiences which we are not able to do in many parts of the world still. And one of the things we piloted during the pandemic was to use virtual reality to create shared experiences as a part of our onboarding. Now, virtual reality, the science says, actually helps your learning. So it's a way of teaching you know, and onboarding people around Accenture that we know is effective. Not doing virtual reality for hours, by the way. There's like time segments. It's usually on average 30 to 45 minutes. But the science says you can actually learn better in virtual reality. So done correctly, but also the technology we use Microsoft's Enmesh and then our own platform that we've been building for a decade. And I'm telling you, a decade ago it was terrible. Now it's amazing. Like you, you use this platform, you get off. It's almost jarring because it's so real. Yeah. And, and so what we did was was to design to say when we're onboarding of all of these people, we can ha- that we, we want them to learn differently and better. So a part of it's virtual, but also have this cool experience with each other. Because right now the technology is still pretty new and has something to talk about. Isn't that great? It's a shared experience and an exposure, of course, from the moment they come to Accenture that we're going to be cutting edge. And so I wanted to share it because first of all, I think virtual reality is amazing right now and can be leveraged more cost-effectively and more realistically than many companies are using it. But also it's an example of how to really Not just digitize your onboarding or or your relationship building by using, you know, Zoom and Teams, et cetera, for video, but thinking about how technology can also enhance the building it using old-fashioned principles, like it's really cool to do something together, and you could do something together new, even virtually. Yes.
0: And there's even some early research coming out of Stanford that virtual reality has experiences, have a way to imbue empathy, like multiples, many, many multiples above any conversation, hearing about someone's experience, because you can literally and figuratively put yourself in someone's shoes and experience the world as them. I mean, it's early days in that data too, but I'm so excited for the potential of this, which then gets us to um, inclusion and diversity, which is also a really big aspect of Accenture's mission. How have you been approaching it? What have you learned? We know that this is a big focus for many companies. What can they learn from you? Is there, it's for those who are maybe embarking on this for the first time.
1: Well, maybe to put another plug in for um, apprenticeship programs. If you look at Chicago, okay. the approximately 1200 apprentices that we have in the Chicago area network are diverse from a geographic perspective since about 50% come from the South and West sides where there's a big focus on economic recovery and over 60% are diverse and over 80% do not have four year degrees. And so apprenticeship programs are a way of accessing great talent and also great diverse talent. So just a little plug there. Uh, I mean, you know, look, if you go back to the 2013 when I said that we had to rotate our entire business At the time, our philosophy was we were fast followers and you were not gonna be successful, we had to become innovation led. And so we made the decision even as we were facing financial headwinds because that same year we also missed earnings for the third time in our history as we started to see the shift in technology that our clients couldn't see yet begin to impact us we said we need to double down on diversity because we would not become innovation led and move from a culture of fast following unless we were more diverse, broadly speaking. And so it became at the top table, a business strategy Uh, within a couple of years with respect to gender, which applies globally, we first uh, in 2015 put out our goals with respect to recruiting. And then in 2017, we said that by 2025, we had a public goal to be um, uh, gender equal. We started in 2013 with 250,000 people and 36% women. Today, we're 625,000 people and 46% women, and we will hit 50-50. That's Um, amazing. So you know, and so we, but we've treated it in every dimension as a business priority, and I'm super excited that this year we just launched a new framework for measuring our managing directors. We have 9,000 globally, and uh, as they set their their priorities for the year, there's only one or two. There's only two priorities that are required, and one of the priorities is their individual contribution to inclusion and diversity at Accenture. And so we um, hold ourselves accountable through transparency publicly. Our board holds ourselves accountable. I hold my leadership team accountable to hit the goals we set and for personal impact. And now for our 9,000 managing directors, we do require each of them to have a priority by which um, they will be measured as part of their performance uh, at the end of the year.
0: And that's, the key right what what we don't measure, you know, we can't actually do so um, that's a really big lesson for everybody listening. um so the future of work everyone's talking about it it's a buzz phrase it's on everyone's minds, we talked a little bit about the omni connection about what you're doing. Um, with your new space that you're building out how you're thinking about um, these omni connected experiences um. Any other trends that you are seeing in the future of work that you can share?
1: Yeah, so I, I, maybe a couple of things to highlight. Um, one is that I really believe that the best companies two and three years from now will not be talking about hybrid working, they'll be talking about skills.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, because
1: if we go back to the beginning and how much change there's going on, you know, the stats would show you that for the Fortune 500 back in 2017, 30% of the skills of those uh, employees of the Fortune 500 are no longer relevant today. We see the acceleration in digital automatically populate their skills. So when the pandemic hit and we needed more cloud skills, we needed more collaboration tool skills because our, our customers, you know, our clients needed us to do this. We could use AI algorithms against the skills database and identify who could more easily be upskilled. And we literally upskilled 100,000 people in six months with relevant skills to do our clients. And so thinking about, do you understand the skills of your people and how do you partner and and think about how to upskill? So that's one. The second, which is tied to what you started with earlier about what are the trends, which is a different way, and we're starting to see this conversation happen, is shift again to the role of technology and in particular artificial intelligence. So just a very simple ways of thinking about what's happening. Cloud is the enabler. So we talk a lot about the move to the cloud. Data is gonna be the driver, like accessing data. And then AI, artificial intelligence, will ultimately be the differentiator for companies, mm-hmm. right? And so if you think about that, it has profound implications for workers, not the traditional are they going to be displaced with their jobs, but what we know from those who successfully use AI and successfully use data, it's all about how you pair it with individuals. If you spend a lot of money to have access to real-time data and the people on the front line who can do something differently are not empowered to do something differently or trained to do something differently, then all that money will be wasted. Right. And AI will almost always, there's lots of systems that don't interact with humans, you know, so some things in manufacturing, et cetera, but lots and lots of AI that will really differentiate requires the human ingenuity to work together with the AI. And so yes. thinking about how you have the right skills among your people, but also the new ways of working and embrace this change as a way of really growing your company and creating more opportunity for your people. Uh, and I think that's a conversation that's only now beginning as you have leaders starting to kind of shift to, okay, yeah, I've got my cloud. What am I going to do with it? How am I going to differentiate? Oh, what does this mean for our people?
0: So yeah. uh, just
1: trying to flag something that I that's a it's a growing conversation
0: that we're yeah. seeing right now. And I don't think everyone has fully embraced it yet, right? Like they're still not sure what they want to do with their workforce, uh, how they want their offices to be. And you've come out like early with a commitment, which is part of why you're ahead on all of this, right? Because you know where you're going and you're not still trying to figure out, well, are we going to come back? Are we not? You know, um, that's tremendous. So I do wanna to touch on sustainability just a bit. I, there's so much we could talk about, we're running out of time, but I wanna be sure that we talk about this because sure. I know Accenture has a big commitment to sustainability. Uh, we just came out of the UN Climate Change Conference, which just wrapped in Glasgow. Uh, and so share with us a little bit about how you're helping your clients and what Accenture personally is doing.
1: Sure. Well, maybe I'll start with COP26. I think many of us were disappointed on what happened on the government side, but it was a complete and seismic shift for um, the private sector. First of all, you had more more companies there than ever in the past, uh, but also huge commitments. Like, for example, in consumer goods, you know, doubling of commitments, uh, and very significant commitments. And you know, sort of, I, I think it's become a truism. So I won't spend much time. Like, whether you're employees or consumers or regulated industries, the need to become more sustainable is critical. And, you know, we sort of coined the phrase, it used to be every business must be, um, will be a digital business. And we really believe that every business must be a sustainable business today. And that Mm -hmm. certainly has climate change at the center, but it's more broad than climate change, which is why we focus on Creating 360 degree value for our clients. So we focus on embedding sustainability, embedding inclusion and diversity, embedding upgrading of talent. And that's how we at Accenture, starting with what our clients need, have shifted our own strategy last year. It was about becoming, you know, digital cloud and security. And then now it's about that 360 degree value. And so what does that mean? Well, you know, we are now with AI and machine learning, we've developed um, a green IT methodology. We're running a diagnostic against all of our work that is heavily AI and ML because actually it's super energy, energy inefficient if you don't use the right techniques. And so we're working on green IT software development. We started there and we'll take it across our business. We helped launch the Green Software Foundation because we're super committed that in how we work, we will help our clients meet their sustainability commitments. And in the IT industry today, 4% of um, uh, emissions come from IT. It's projected to be 14% if things aren't changed by 2030. We're also taking on, you know, big areas. So 40% of emissions come from buildings. In fact, COP26 was notable that for the first time ever, they had an entire day devoted to sustainable businesses if you're listening and you don't know is the business either that you own or lease is it maximum energy efficiency is it contributing to your commitment then it probably is not right mm-hmm. and it's a super simple question again technology that didn't exist a year or two a year two years ago does exist now uh, we, we partnered with Johnson Controls who came out with this technology. They have a managed service so that you can think totally differently. You can look at your network of buildings across the globe and operate them differently. You can work with your lessor in a different way. And, and I just sort of tease that for all of you because companies today you know, have a lot of change depending on the industry that they have to make. And there's certain things that are horizontals that are lower hanging fruit. And we're doing the same thing at Accenture. We're looking at buildings. You know, the last piece is, you know, at Accenture, you know, we have a global sustainability lead. We're helping every industry. We have very targeted sustainability services, but it had to start with Accenture. And when I became CEO, I will tell you, we were well ranked at the top, right? You can't go by your ranking. Mm -hmm. What I said to the team was, are we doing enough? And the reality was, we weren't. And so we became the first in our industry to make a commitment that by 2030, we will not be net carbon zero. We will have a water management plan. And by 2023, we will be 100% renewables in our buildings around the world, including India. Uh, And that we would do so not simply by buying credits, which was the first plan I got, but that we would actually invest in technology, we would structurally change how we operate. So pre pandemic, we were said we were going to take out 20% of our travel, the pandemic helped, but that was a decision, I mean, we're we're one of the top customers in the world around travel because of our clients so it's just more about you know, I, I said we cannot be complacent because we were well ranked. We really right. have to look at what can we do? Uh, and so we're ourselves are systematically looking at all of the buildings. We're primarily a, a, a lease uh, around the world to say, how are we going to work with other tenants and with our um, landlords to to have our buildings be more sustainable, not just the ones like 500 West Madison, which is a great building already, but where we are today. And so um, we're super committed. We believe this is something we have to do together. We, we want you know, other input and we want to work with other companies, uh, not only in what we do in terms of services, but in coming together to find faster ways um, for our communities to become more sustainable.
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel like we've barely scratched the surface. If everyone could see like, the volume of things we could have touched on, you know, I feel like we need several more hours with you. Um, so I would just say to everyone listening, you know, wherever you can see or hear Julie speak, please do. We are going to share, you know, more information about what Accenture is doing, and you're just such a tremendous leader. So I'll close with asking you, in your time as CEO of all the things that you have done, what are you most proud of?
1: That's a really hard question because I feel like every day I'm really proud of all the things that our people, um, have yeah. done. And, uh, and, and probably I'm, I'm most proud that in the, the depths of the pandemic, we were able to, you know, help our clients who do a lot of work on their behalf and that we were able to continue to do so really without almost any interruptions. And that was because of the incredible, incredible work, um, uh, and dedication of our employees, even as they were going through hard times, uh, and so for that, I will always be grateful.
0: And as you look forward, what are you most optimistic about?
1: Look, I think we are building back better. I mean, I I look at it all across that the depth of the commitment, whether it's on inclusion and diversity, or climate change, or sustainability, broader. There's a huge opportunity, and I see it happening, uh, and so. One of the things I tell my team is I know our clients want it. So if we can develop it to help them so that whenever we're doing moving to the cloud or doing something else, we can embed these things, it is what our clients want. And I think we have a huge opportunity and are, in fact, building back better. So that makes me very excited for our collective futures.
0: That's really good to hear. So we learned so many cool things. I have some phrases now that are, will be with me forever. fidgetal, um, earn the commute, you know, net better off, omni connection. so many things. And I just want to say thank you, Julie, for spending the time. And we're looking forward to everything that Accenture is going to be doing in the next decade.
1: Well, thank you. Thanks for the partnership. Love what the Executive Club does and really just love the Chicago community. It was one of the first things that I got exposed to when I became the general counsel back in 2010. And I made my first trip to Chicago and I've just been so impressed by, um, by this group of companies and uh, we feel privileged to be a part of it. So thanks for
0: having me today and uh, good luck everyone. That's all for today's episode of the Executives Exchange sponsored by Shure Incorporated. Thanks for listening. If you have Chicago speakers you think we should cover, please send us an email at media at executivesclub.org. The Executives Exchange is a production of the Executives Club of Chicago. Audio equipment for the Executives Club podcast is provided by Shure. Whether you're making a point or making history, Shure lets you sound extraordinary. It's written by me, Margaret Mueller, produced by Eva Pinar. Research and support from the staff of the Executives Club of Chicago. We appreciate you subscribing and reviewing the show from wherever you listen. Feel free to follow the club on Twitter at Exec Club and on LinkedIn. If you have more questions or are interested about becoming a member at the Executives Club of Chicago, check us out on the web at executivesclub.org. See you next time.